Are you tired of thinking you found the right partner only to find out you were wrong again? Are you having a tough time establishing a long-term relationship or building a family life that is thriving and enriching? Let relationship and family coaches Weldon and Debbie help you find that ideal mate or build the kind of relationship you've always wanted. Great relationships and families don't happen by chance, so don't take a chance with yours. Let Welton and Debbie equip you with techniques and provide guidance for establishing a solid foundation for dating, a long-term relationship, and a successful family life. Now, your coaching hosts, Uncle Weldon and Aunt Debbie. Welcome back, and thanks to those who listened to our last cast and provided feedback and told others about it. Now, I know last week's subject may have seemed a little heavy and serious in nature, but what we wanted to get across was that this is a serious topic and is one that could have not just long term, but lifetime consequences. And so we just wanted to put forth the importance of what it is that we were talking about and why it is that it needs to be given some serious consideration. Now, we also want to remind you that it is not the intent of this broadcast or the guidance we provide to replace the services or treatment of a professional mental health care provider. Before we get into today's message, let's do a recap from last week. So last week, what we talked about was the definition of dating and dating having different meanings to different people. To some people, dating is having a committed relationship to people a girlfriend, boyfriend type situation. And then the other thing uh, we talked about is some people say that they're dating and then they use it as they're just hanging out. Um, Your friends, you're uh, going out on activities together, but there's usually not a title that's a part of that relationship or it is not a title that defines it. And then we talked about dating as a form of just hooking up. That's when you're just hanging out with someone, having a good time. So What we want everybody to remember is when you are going out on the date, define it. Make sure that you and your date have had the conversation. That's the only way that you'll know is if you've asked the question. So be prepared to ask the question about the relationship or have, a, like I said, an understanding of it. And remember to have an end game in mind. I know last week I shared with you all the situation that I allowed myself to be in for seven whole years and did not stop at any point to make a decision about whether or not this relationship should have continued on. And, you know, after the podcast, I actually reflected again on it. And I thought, you know, those years were to be quite frank, were some uh, vital years for me in my late 20s. And one of the things that I hadn't shared previously in any of the podcasts was I wanted to be a parent. And those were some vital years to give someone when you might have thought that one day you would like to have children. So if that's something that you also want, and you know that you're kind of in those years of childbearing, you want to give that some thought. So anyways, that was something for me, a reason why I should have given that more consideration for those seven years. So have an end game in mind. And be prepared for the date. Remember last week, Weldon talked about comparing it to purchasing a car. He did that whole analogy of it. So plan, do your research and be ready for that date. Now understand that there's a difference between intimacy and sex. There's a myth that sex produces intimacy in a relationship. But one of the things that it appears is that women use sex hoping to get intimacy 
and men give intimacy hoping to get sex. True intimacy is built on a foundation of honesty, love, and commitment. It is not just a physical act. Last week, we shared our story about how we had defined or we had made a decision about not having sex in the relationship and how for us, it helped to reduce a lot of tension and allowed us to have pleasurable dates and enjoy each other's company and never have to feel that we're going to be pressured at all to be into a sexual relationship. If someone truly cares for you, they will not pressure you into having sex with them. And most importantly, be true to yourself. Have your end game in mind. Don't settle. Remember your deal breakers. Those deal breakers are your standards for dating and for what you desire in a mate. So we received a question from one of our listeners. Thank you for that question. And the question is, what are some of the sample questions that a person might have for a first, second, or even third date? And what I want to go back and say is we can give some examples and we'll give you some examples, but you must decide for yourself what some of these questions are based on your personal deal breakers and your own standards for your relationship. But I do want to share with you one question that's important to ask is, what do you want out of life? That's a simple kind of question that will give you some cue as to whether or not you guys are on the same road going in the same direction. Because if you're going northbound and they're going south, you will not connect with each other. So know that up front. Another good question to ask is, how do you spend your time? That's a relatively simple question, but from it, you can get a lot of information. That question will allow you to get a perspective on that person's life and lifestyle. What type of things they're interested in? Are they the same type of things that you're interested in? And what's important to them? Another thing I would ask is about previous marriages. So if the person answer you that they have been married previously, I would also ask the question, was it one marriage, two marriages? You know, like how many times have you been married? In uh, my previous marriage, I asked that question or I knew that the person had been married before and I assume that they meant one marriage. Only until after I was married did I find out that it had been multiple marriages, which now I would tell a person, if you're asking about previous marriage, ask how many marriages it was. You know, it's okay to follow up with a question and ask, what did they feel were the reasons that the relationship ended? Because you want to listen in and you want to hear whether or not that person is going to take some ownership and responsibility for why the marriage ended. You know that there's two people in the relationship, so it's not just one person who could have done something differently. And also, you want to listen to hear whether or not that person not only took responsibility, but also made some changes to improve themselves because we all make mistakes. However, it's important for us to improve upon ourselves when we make those mistakes. We identify what our issues are and then we correct them. We make a change. And when we've made that change and not only made the change, but we've begun to live that change, that's what you're looking for. You're giving it enough time to see that these were the issues. You've implemented some change and you've lived out that change. Yeah, there are some things 
or questions that you may not feel comfortable asking or may be even inappropriate to ask on a first date because you have not gotten to the point where those things should really be important for that first date, such as material possessions, um, asking about their their house or what kind of car they drive. It may be okay to ask about what type of employment they're in because that does give you some insight into the mindset or the overall personality of the person. But if those type things are not important to you and are not part of your deal breakers, then don't ask them. Wait until a second or third day. But the main thing is to be honest with yourself. And if there are some things that are important to you, then make sure that you get those things asked up front. Early on in Debbie and my uh, relationship, and I don't know if it was on the first date or the second date, and I believe it was on the first date. But one of my questions to her was about her faith and her religious belief. And I started it off by telling her about my faith and my beliefs. And then I just asked her where she stood because that was very important to me. Another thing I asked her about was family relations just listening to how she interacted with her family, uh, what type of dynamics they had as far as their communication and if they spent time together. Because family ties and family communication and togetherness was something that was very important to me. But in no way was I being judgmental over her or with her as far as what her answers were. I just knew what I desired and and what was important for me in a mate. And not to say that the way that she and her family or her religious faith was right or wrong, but I was just being honest with myself and what I desired in a mate. So in this week's cast, we are talking about communications. So just what is communications and how do you define it? Communications can be defined as verbal speech or other methods of relaying information to get a point across. Now, how effective it is depends on how well the person goes about communicating. And effective communications is very important in a relationship or even in a family life because communication is the third leading reasons couples give for divorce or their relationship not working out. And a close companion of that, the fourth reason that couples give for divorce is constant arguing. So when there is poor communications in a relationship, it leads to resentment, frustration, bickering about petty things like chores, bickering about family situations, finances, and even bickering about things that seem ridiculous like which way the toilet paper rolls off the spool or how you stack the dishwasher. (laughs) So all those things can lead to uh, divorce and they seem silly, but when you have poor communication, it leads to bickering. And so we want to talk about what is effective communication in a relationship. Now, this is one of the things that Debbie and I value most in our relationship. Uh, We can spend hours just talking about all types of subjects uh, without having to have the television on or have people around. And when we travel, we generally spend a lot of time sitting in in a nice environment 
just talking about life. We talk about family. We talk about finance. We talk about sports. We talk about politics. We talk about religion. We talk about life goals. But this didn't come about by accident. It was built on trust that we had built between each other. Trust in knowing that we could be honest and open with each other without being afraid of being judged or thought of negatively. We also communicate with a lot of respect for one another. That means that we believe that what the other person has to say is just as important as what we have to say and that what they're going to say may not always be what we feel or what we believe, but we respect their opinion as a person. And then we're always honest with each other, as ugly as the truth might be sometimes and as embarrassing as it might be. We've come to that point where we respect each other enough that we can be honest with one another and knowing that the other person is not going to think of us uh, in a negative way. And it also comes from um, finding that we can find support from one another when we're talking, not that we're always in the right when we're when we're given our perspective on things, but that we'll support one another, especially with things that are important. And I know at times that when I'm telling Debbie, she may not always understand it. She may not always agree with it. Uh, she may not even be interested in it, but she'll respect me enough to listen. And what I had to learn to do with her was not try to always provide us a solution to what she was saying. She'll have some times when she'll come home from work and because it's been a tough day, she'll want to talk about those things. Well, I used to be the type of person that would try to give you a solution. Well, why don't you just do this? And why don't you just do that? But now I, I just listen. Sometimes I may ask for further um, definition or further insight into what she's talking about. And then I just listen and may not say anything unless she asks me. So what do you think about this? Or what would you do about this? And then I'll give my solicited opinion. And I know there's a lot of research out there and books that have been written about the communication styles of men and women. But what I've come to find uh, from talking with couples and, and my research is that there's not a lot of difference between how men and women communicate and what they expect from communications. Because what a man may not communicate with his wife or with his dating partner, he'll communicate with his friends and they'll have conversations for hours talking about various things that he may not discuss with his wife or his partner because he doesn't know or think that they'll be interested or that they'll know uh, what he's talking about. And it's the same way with women where they'll express certain emotions with their friends and certain situations in life they may not express with their spouse. But the reality of it is they desire to do it. They just haven't built that trust and that respect and that honesty with their partner to discuss it that way. So Debbie and I have developed that type of relationship where whatever we discuss with our friends or with our family members, we can discuss with each other. And usually we will have discussed it with each other before we would have discussed it with someone else. And, um, and, and we don't have to feel like that we have to hide things from one another. Because we have that trust and that respect and that honesty and that non-judgmental relationship that we've built through good communication methods. 
So hopefully what you've heard from what Weldon was describing is that communication is a two-way thing. You have a sender, a person giving a message, and a receiver, the one who is listening to the message. So at one point you have someone speaking. And if you have two people speaking at the same time, I think we all know what that's called. That's either arguing or yelling Uh, but is not having a conversation. And if you don't have a listener, that means that you've been tuned out. And the whole idea of the conversation is all lost because in a conversation, someone's trying to communicate a message and someone should be seeking to understand that message, not seeking to understand your point of view, but to understand that message. So when two people are talking, there's at least six possibilities of the message that can be conveyed. And one of them is what you mean to say. Most times when we're having a conversation, we have the best intent to deliver a message, but that's not actually what we always do. And then you have what you actually say, which may not have been a very clear message. And then you have what the other person hears. Now that's what's vital because at the end, that is what you seek to do is to deliver a clear message. And then here's where it starts getting complicated is what the other person thinks he hears or she hears. And that's when you have to start doing some clarification and uh, digging a little bit more. And then there's what the other person said about what you said. Now we have perceptions that start entering to uh, the communication process. And lastly, it's what you think the other person said about what you said. And this reminds me of Chris Tucker when he gave the line, do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Because oftentimes we have this exchange and then when you have conversation or you go along with the person, man, there are so many misunderstandings. It's like, this is what I mean to say, but this is what I actually said. And this is what this person have heard. So clarification is so important. We got to get clear with the message that we're trying to deliver. And when we're talking about communications uh, and effective communications and how you listen and how you respond, I want to tell you a story. But before I tell you that, let me preface it with this. Now, like we mentioned in our first broadcast, Debbie and I have been married for 10 years. And in those 10 years, Debbie and I have not had an argument Now, we disagree on a lot of different subjects and we're not always on the same page, but we have not had an argument where we are yelling at one another or mad at one another. But we took a trip recently to Costa Rica. And if any time there was an opportunity where we could have broken to an argument, that was the time. So let me describe to you what was going on. We were in Costa Rica, as I said, and we were on a canoe trip. And so the guide was giving us instructions on how to navigate the canoe. Now, we had a double canoe, so both of us were in the same canoe. And so for coordination purposes, you have to be uh, rowing in the same direction or paddling in the same direction in order for the canoe to to operate right. But what it requires is that the person in the front uh, may be paddling uh, for a certain period of time or the person in back paddling for a certain period of time. And you may have to at times paddle forward or paddle backwards. So Debbie was sitting in the front of the canoe and I was sitting in the back. 
what I want to share too in this story is that both Weldon and I had canoed previously. We just had never canoed together. And one of the positions for me was I was accustomed to be in, in the back of the canoe, giving out the orders or giving, being, I guess, more in control over that type of conversation. So for me, it also was a switch. I had to yield myself over to him so that he would give those commands. And so I was giving commands for, for Debbie to either roll back or roll forward or roll slower or roll faster <laughs> or stop and, and let me roll. Now, she could have responded with some of my commands. I heard you the first time. <laughs> you don't have to say it like that. I heard you. And then I could respond, well, why don't you just do what I tell you to do? Well, why don't you just listen better and do it the way that I'm telling you to do it? But none of that negative communication happened because... We were both willing to be humble and to be patient with one another, maintain a constant tone of voice, not yell at one another and not get the mindset that I'm an adult. You don't tell me what to do. Instead, what we did was Debbie would listen and I'd give the commands. And if I was wrong, I'd say, oh, no, I was wrong in that. No, let's try it this way. But we both had the spirit of cooperation. And that also comes from having built that sense of trust and respect for one another. She knew that I was not trying to be bossy. She knew that we were trying to work together to accomplish a um, similar goal. And in order to do that, it meant that we both had to listen to one another, that we both had to be sensitive to how the other person would perceive what we were saying and we also had to talk in a manner of voice that was not threatening to one another and it turned out to be great and this is one thing we found out as well that when you're really not listening to one another and you're doing your own thing despite what the other person may be asking you or telling you to do you find yourself going in a circle uh, there were times where we were paddling and uh, we were not communicating. We were just doing our own thing. And we were going in a circle. And it took us a long time to maneuver in a certain direction. But that was something we, uh, we realized. And when we would see that, we would stop. And Debbie would either ask, okay, so how do you want me to paddle? Or I would say, okay, well, let's try it this way. And, you know, it turned out to be a great trip. And we did not get into an argument. And we did not feel that the other one was less capable than we were in performing the task. And this is just one example of how often conversations come up between husbands and wives where they really need to communicate about a direction that they're taking in their relationship, in the family or in their careers. And so learning to listen and talk to one another without feeling that you always have to be right, that you always have to be in control or that the other person doesn't have the capabilities of understanding what you're talking about really comes into play. Nobel Peace Prize winner in literature, George Bernard Shaw said the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. <laughs> And communication is more than what you say aloud. There's also nonverbal cues that are being signaled off when you are communicating with someone. When you're communicating, you're sharing your thoughts and your feelings and ideas. So be in tune with your nonverbal cues, your body language. Your body language is speaking out loud. If you're sitting there and you're not looking like you're paying attention or if you're rolling your eyes or even if you were sitting together and you kind of start moving away 
away, turning your back. Those are not positive cues. You want to sit and you want to give good eye contact. You can nod your head and do things like that. Be aware of the tone, your tone of voice and your inflection when you're having conversation with someone, because what's really important is how the person received the message that you're trying to give. You want, I guess, really, you're seeking to be understood. You're seeking to be heard. And you're also seeking to be a great listener. You want to hear the other person's point of view. You want to hear their understanding and get on the same page with things. It's not always about each person having the exact same thought. You know, I think that we're trying to be clear on that, that we're not saying that you always have the same thought, but that you have a a safe place to express it, even if it's different. But listen and speak respectively. Now, we also want to talk about the dynamics of conversations, um, not just with couples, but also between parents and children and within a family. Now, when you're talking about conversations or communication between parents and children, it can oftentimes be blurred because of the close relationship that you have with one another or the familiarity that you have with your child or that the child may have with the parents, whether there are positive thoughts or experiences or negative thoughts and experiences. It will influence how you communicate when you're talking about a parent and a child. And you know, many times as a parent, it can bother you that your child may be willing to talk with someone else more so than they're willing to talk with you. And and a lot of times that's not bad. It may just be that what they have to say at that particular time, they need to talk it out with, with someone that is just a neutral party. And it can help them, but it should build to the point where they're ready to discuss it with you. And when you're talking about communications between a parent and a child, we believe it's up to the parent to create that safe space or that safe place that a child can communicate. There's a book I like that's called Grace-Based Parenting by Dr. Tim Kimmel. And in his book, he talks about communications between a child and parent and the parent creating a safe environment for a child to communicate. And here's a couple of the things that he talks about. He talks about a child having the freedom to be vulnerable. What this means is that your child should be able to tell you what their fears are without you dismissing them as being nonsense or silly. They should be able to come to you and talk about anything no matter how negative or embarrassing it might be, no matter how big or how small it is, they should be able to come to you without you shutting them down when they're in a vulnerable state. Because if you start doing that, then they'll just stop talking to you. And the sad thing about it is they'll start talking more to their teachers or to their friends. And even worse yet, they'll get on social media and they'll start talking about their issues. And then you'll wonder why your children don't talk to you or you'll start to feel that void and lack of communications from your children, which could lead to frustration and constant family conflicts. Another thing Dr. Kimmel talks about in his book is that children have the freedom to be candid. Now, this means that they need to be able to express their disappointment with how you may have treated them in front of their friends or how you handled a particular situation. Now, this needs to be done respectfully and it needs to be done appropriately. 
But you need to be open to accepting the fact that you may have handled something wrong and admit to being wrong uh, before your child and asking for their uh, forgiveness and apologize. And being candid doesn't give them the freedom to be smart mouthed or flip it with you. It means being able to honestly express how they are feeling about a particular situation and how it was handled. And you as a parent should not be so thin skinned that you can't take the truth of how your child perceives you or something that you may have done. There is also the dynamics of family communications, both within a household and with extended families. Now, within the household, the same principles of communication have to be invoked. People should communicate with one another respectfully. They should try to listen to the other person and understand what it is they're saying. Parents should not allow children to berate one another and to antagonize one another with their communication. I know it's hard to do when you don't always see them or hear them doing it, but when you do, you need to make immediate corrections and you need to state it clearly for them that that type of communication will just not be allowed in this household. And then there's the communication with extended family members. Now, this can be as frequently or as infrequently as you would like, but the same basic principles of communication still need to be applied. And when it's not being applied, then you have the right and the prerogative to not engage in it or to at least put forth a corrective way of how it should be. And then you also have to determine that if it's just not going to be that way and it's just going to constantly be a negative form of communication, then you need to decide whether or not that's the type of communication that you want to continue to be a part of or that you want to allow to go on in your household if that just happens to be where the family communications are taking place. And remember, parents should be modeling good communication skills for their kids. Kids are sometimes silently looking and watching what you're doing and how you're treating each other. So sometimes when you look at how they're communicating with their siblings or may turn around and communicate with mom or dad, they're emulating what you've done. And remember the old adage, it just doesn't work when you say, do as I say and not as I do because they're going to do as they see you do. So let's go through some tips for communicating. And before we do so, let's remember there's two people with two perceptions when there's communication. Okay, so one of the first tips is to be a ready listener and do not answer until the other person is finished talking. You know, there's times when you're not being an active listener. What you're doing is sitting while the person is speaking and you're trying to formulate your response. In this position, you are seeking to understand. You're not seeking to find your next rebuttal. Another thing to consider is being slow to speak. When it is your turn, Think first. Don't be hasty in your words. You want the other person to hear and understand your point of view. And then speak the truth in love. Please don't exaggerate by saying things like, you're always late. You don't ever listen. If you're communicating to resolve a problem, remember to identify the problems and together attack the problem, not each other. 
Another tip is not using silence to frustrate the other person. Explain why you've hesitant to speak. You can say things like, I'm frustrated right now, or I'm emotionally drained, and it's best for me to chill or for us to get back to this conversation later. So this technique is not using silence to frustrate the other person, but only to give you a distance in that conversation or a moment away so that you can collect your thoughts and cool down. And notice I did not say you're frustrating me. I said, I'm frustrated. So you have to take ownership for how you feel and how you communicate that. Another thing is uh, when you're wrong, admit it and ask for forgiveness. And when you've received a sincere apology, let that person know that you accept their apology and don't hold it against them in the future. If they've made a mistake and they've apologized for it and moved forward, you move forward with them. And honestly, some conversations can get heated. So if you actually find yourself in a conversation and you're being verbally attacked or criticized, don't respond in the same manner. As the listener in that conversation, you have an opportunity to uh, react or respond. Attempt to de-escalate the situation. If you're able to continue the conversation, speak to the problem and not at the person. And if you both are unable to do that, then table this issue for another time until both persons are able to come back and speak respectfully. This does not mean avoiding the conversation that you previously had because you will have to go back and revisit whatever it was that you were talking about and also probably get some apologies or some forgiveness so that you can move forward. Because when we have disagreements and we stuff those things and we put them under the rug, they usually don't go anywhere. They just grow larger and become the elephant in the room. Something important to note is that the communication tips that Debbie was giving were in reference to when you are talking with someone and not texting them or emailing them because those forms of media don't always convey the tone of voice that you would normally have or it doesn't convey the the feelings or body language that you have at that time. So these are tips that are related to when you are communicating with someone verbally. Well, that's all for today. We hope this cast on communication has been helpful and encouraging to you. Now, don't forget to send us feedback and questions either by email or directly on the site you are listening to us on. And you can also rate this cast and give us a thumbs up. You can also send us some suggestions on topics you would like to hear us discuss. And remember, tell someone about it and share the link on your social media site. We appreciate the help in getting the word out about our broadcast. Now, next week, we'll be discussing money matters and how it impacts the family and the relationship. And finances and money are the number two reasons people give for divorce. So I know you're going to want to listen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you found it informative and encouraging, and we'd like to get your feedback. Whether you're listening on iTunes or on podbean.com, you can write a review about today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast and tell your family, friends, and colleagues about it. We appreciate your help. If you have a topic or question you would like us to discuss on one of our shows, send it to us by email at axweldonanddebbie at outlook.com. 
Tune in again next week for another broadcast of Ask Uncle Weldon and Aunt Debbie about dating, relationships, and family. God's blessings to you. Goodbye.